Welcome to Liberty in America, Past, Present, and Future with Dr. Bill Joby. Doc is a historian and a reenactor. On this show, you'll hear his thoughts about our personal liberties from their earliest recorded beginnings. You'll also be transported back to the 1750s to relive the life of Colonel George Washington and his adventures during the French and Indian War. Let's get started. Here's Dr. Bill Choby. Hello, here we go. Dr. Bill Choby again on Liberty in America, Past, Present, and Future. This is uh, the next one in a series. This time we're going to talk about one of my one of my favorite uh, subjects. It's about the New World. And this is a, a look at history that I'm sure many of you have never thought of or considered. But it's crucial to understanding just where we got to where we are today with our freedoms and our liberties. Let's take a moment to go back and talk again about the, the original freedom fighters, uh, the international freedom fighters, the Knights Templar. They were organized in uh, the year 1118 when uh, nine knights of the, the poor Temple Mount went to Jerusalem to try to uh, salvage whatever treasures there were there after the um, Jerusalem had been sacked. Uh, remember, prior to this, when, when Rome uh, moved into Jerusalem in 70 AD and they crucified uh, tens of thousands of Jews, they, uh, some of them escaped um, and they made their way to Spain. They were called Sephardic. So there was a thriving culture, Jewish culture in Spain through the years. Now, when, when it came time to other uh, crusades and the, um, these nine individuals went to uh, find the treasures of the temple, uh, it started a movement that uh, eventually became international in scope. The um, membership was based upon one, uh, a young man giving up all of his earthly wealth, taking strict uh, vows of chastity and uh, virtue and um, obedience to the group. They became uh, well enough known as a religious group that they were eventually granted monastic status by the Pope as uh, a monastery of sorts, a roving monastery, they had free hand to move within political boundaries within all oh, whatever uh, countries of, that were existed at that time. And this freedom to move was an advantage that uh, other political groups did not have. But they, uh, in time, they became uh, the guarantors of the pilgrims to Jerusalem, and they started the first uh, traveler's checks, if you will. So if uh, somebody was in Spain or France and wanted to go to the uh, to Jerusalem, they would deposit their money in France or Spain before they left, and they received a note. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, the other members of the Templars would turn that note into cash. That way they were protected from being uh, robbed on the way. But as I said, they became uh, very wealthy. Uh, they had a whole fleet of ships. They owned the island of uh, Cyprus. They um, became so powerful and wealthy that different countries started to borrow money from them. And as we see uh, in the case of the French king and the pope, uh, 
they wanted more and more money to borrow. And finally, the Templars said, no, you can't do that. We're not going to give you any more. And that infuriated King Philip of, 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 of uh, France. And he, and along with the Pope, plotted to do the end of the Templars as a way to get themselves out of financial trouble. So in 1307, the, uh, the Templar Knights were rounded up on Friday the 13th. And uh, they were imprisoned, many of them tortured to death, burned at the stake with, with green wood to make the pain go longer. And uh, all of their wealth was seized. When the word got out that this was happening there, then uh, they, what was left of the Templars, some went north to uh, Scotland and some went uh, south to Portugal. So the, each of those areas had... Um, Templar influence, but nothing like they had before. And as previously mentioned, uh, Jacques de Molay, who was the Grand Master of the Templars at the time, uh, he was uh, tortured to recant um, his faith or, or admit that he was a heretic, which was no basis where a lot of these uh, Templars were uh, excuse was used to kill him. And uh, he then later recanted that and he said, no, he's back to his original uh, beliefs. And for that, they put him at the stake and uh, set the fire on the green wood and watched him uh, die. And while he was tied to the stake, he screamed out to the Pope and to King Philip that before the year would be over, they would die. They both died of natural causes before the end of that year, sort of a, a, uh, a prophecy that uh, he made came true. And I'll leave that for your imagination of what that means, but I think it's a pretty powerful um, statement about the, what was going on at the time. So with the Templars being uh, scattered somewhat to Scotland, as I said, and the Rosalind Chapel is there now, there's, there's Templar influences there. But there was a, a group of people um, under Sir John Sinclair who was looking to establish... Uh, the Templars in a new Jerusalem of sorts and a new land. Now, if we go and we look at um, North America and, and the discovery of North America, we know that the Vikings were here uh, around the 12th, 11th, 12th centuries. They were aware of things, but there was uh, some problems with travel. So there was a warming period, medieval warming period that later became uh, a mini ice age. And as the mini ice age came along, then it reduced the ability to travel. And this is where we get the land of Iceland and Greenland because at one time it was warm enough to go there. But the global cooling um, really reduced the influence of the Vikings in establishing any permanent settlements in North America. But as the, uh, the persecution continued to the Templars, they, uh, they figured that they're got to find a new place. So in 1398, uh, Prince Henry Sinclair um, landed on Oak Island in Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia meaning New Scotland. Uh, but and it's from there it became a foothold of their activities on the uh, that area of, of what we call today Canada. <clears throat> there were different landmarks today that exist that give testimony to this. And the most recent one was Kensington Rue Stone. It's uh, in an area that is now Minnesota. 
and the root stone was uh, found by a farmer. Uh, it's a, a block, a good-sized rock, if you will, that had an inscription on it that uh, was later tied to the same kind of inscriptions found in other landmarks that the Templars left in um, in North America. So we have, uh, in addition to the the, uh, the root Kensington root stone that was in Minnesota, there was also some others that were found. Uh, and today they're they're visible today if you go there. There's a, a marker in Wexford, Connecticut, and, and the Spiral uh, Spirit Pond, Maine, and the, the Narragansett rune stone, R U N E stone, off the shores of uh, Rhode Island, and uh, they uh, these markers had uh, different uh, letters on them. And the one that was uh, most curious, and it turned out later to be discovered, that the letter X uh, in their writings had a little horizontal hook, if you will, on the right diagonal of the X. And that was later discovered to be one of the secret uh, connections that Templars would have to one another. So if they saw a writing that had that form of an X on it, they knew that they were dealing with Templars. So there were their little secrets that um, only until the past couple hundred years was that discovered. But the um, they had quite a bit of, of uh, a development here, but and there would have been you know here much longer um, if um, if it hadn't been for you know, the, the coming of the uh, the mini ice age. So the, the Portuguese Templars, um, they were down in, you know, they, of course, they, the uh, seafaring uh, colleges of, of uh, in Portugal were world-renowned. And uh, Prince Henry was uh, the navigators, uh, as they called him. Uh, he had a school of sorts where they would... Uh, uh, they were also part of the Crusades, and he was uh, one of the students there, the Duke of Beja, B-E-J-A. He was a Templar, and he had uh, he was one of the, the great uh, navigators of his time. And uh, he had um, learned at the, at, the, at the feet of Prince Henry, and uh, who was the, uh, the Templar, and their whole thing was uh, to to Christianize the infidels at the highest as, as the highest Christian calling. Now, let me take a moment here. I, I want to give a reference to what I'm going to tell you next. This this is from a really interesting book that I happened across in one of my uh, readings or, or watching my uh, different webinars and uh, on my screen. Doctor Miles R. Jones. This is a very fascinating man. He's, he has done extensive research on the history of uh, uh, Jewish and Christian uh, uh, roots. Uh, in, in his book, Messianic Church Arising, he has the Sons of Zion versus the Sons of Greece, Volume 2. And it's from that book that I'm giving you what I'm going to tell you next, which is something I'm sure you've never heard before. In Portugal, the Templars, and there's there's evidence there. If you ever to, were to travel there, there's evidence in Portugal of these Templars where they were tunnel makers, and, and they, had, they had a very curious initiation rite. In order to be born again of sorts, you had to go, uh, they stripped you down naked, uh, maybe with a loincloth or something, and you entered into this tunnel. And the tunnel got progressively smaller until you got to the very end of it, 
and it was just big enough to wiggle your way through. And if you could had the courage to navigate that harrowing experience in the dark, not knowing what the other end was, then you were become a Templar and you were literally, quote, born again. So their, their uh, rituals and their beliefs were very strongly tied to the Messianic Church. Now, when I talk about the Duke of Beja, he had a bastard son with a Jewish noblewoman. And that bastard son was because of he was uh, the son of this, uh, of this duke. He was able to, as he grew up, he was able to go to the same school of navigation that his father had gone to. And he learned all these uh, wonderful things about uh, what it is to, you know, to, to trade, to, to read the trade winds, to, to you know, see where the, the sea is going and that sort of thing. And his name was Salvador Fernando Zarco, Z-A-R-C-O. Now, because of his Jewish blood, and he was also a Templar, by the way, they call him the Knights of Christ. Because he was um, a Templar and because he had access to the, the great uh, navigating schools of Prince Henry, he became rather adept. This was a, you know, a very fortunate thing that his, uh, uh, to be the, the bastard son of a duke. And of course, he wore all the, 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 the colors of the, of the duke, and it opened up many doors for him. But the secret was that because his mother was Jewish, at the time of the Spanish Inquisition, the Jews were being forced to leave Spain. Uh, they were being persecuted. And this um, Fernando Zarco, or Salvador Fernando Zarco, feared that he, his lineage would be discovered. And that would then he would have all of his wealth seized and be imprisoned and possibly burned at the stake. So he didn't want this to happen. But see, he was like what was called a converso. And that, that is, he was a Jewish convert to Christianity. But because Christianity and the Catholic Church had different views as to what was the true faith, the Spanish Inquisition and, and the, the, the people, of the, the Jews, that remember I said they all went to Spain after the fall of Rome or fall of Jerusalem, 70 AD, uh, they were severely persecuted. They, uh, their properties were seized. They were thrown in prison to languish until they died. They were tortured and, you know, on the rack or whatever have you, and uh, fingernails burned and things like that uh, And in order to denounce their faith, uh, their Jewish faith, and become you know, the faith of the prevailing inquis uh, inquisitors. So in order to avoid this happening to him, Salvador Fernando Zarco decided he'd best change his name or somebody's going to figure out that he is a converso or a converted Jew to Christianity. So he changed his name to Cristobal Colon. We know him today as Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus, yeah, he was a messianic. And he, because of all the uh, contacts that he had and, and growing up in, under the, the, the helm of the Duke, um, he became very well-known in his seafaring uh, skills and, and many opportunities for him to go. So when the time came that the uh, Queen Isabella and uh, King Ferdinand decided that they were going to say on October 31st, 1492, that if you don't get out of Spain, uh, we're just going to get you. 
man. I mean, it's meaning to all the, the Jewish, the conversos, and the neo-Messianics, or the new Christians, or the, the other Messianics who were basically Hebrew of origin. This became a real religious persecution that Columbus was uh, very fearful of, uh, of losing all that he had. So we take this now, and a time came that they had to get out of Spain, and uh, but they needed money to make this journey. Well, the money that came for that funded Columbus didn't come from Ferdinand and Isabel. It came from the uh, the conversos, the Jews that were converted to or Messianics, and the Jews themselves. Actually, they're Hebrews. And so this is where all the money came that gave him uh, the ships to to travel to basically to find a way to get out of trouble. And uh, if you look at the uh, at pictures of the, the three ships of Columbus, uh, the Pinto, the Maria, and the Pinto, and, you know, and the Santa Maria, the sails that they have, there's a red cross. That's a Templar cross. So they came across here and they established San Salvador, land alone San Salvador. And um, they, uh, of course, uh, named it in the name of our Savior. That's what that means. So this is a very much religious persecution and a solution, a novel solution to dealing with the Inquisition and all the uh, things that were going on in, uh, against the Templars and against the, uh, the conversos, uh, the Jews, and the, the Messianics. So as they came over here, now, what Columbus really did, that was what he really discovered. It wasn't that he discovered a new world, but because we know that was already discovered by the Vikings were here. We knew that uh, the Sinclair was here with the, the, the Scottish uh, Templars, and they had you know, established different landmarks we know we can see today. Uh, we knew that they were here before, like 1362, I think is one of the dates that was marked. Uh, but anyhow, so we're... We're looking at this. Uh, here's Columbus. He figured out that if he traveled the westerlies, the westerlies are the winds that uh, are um, that uh, the dominant movement of the wind uh, to the west. If you went below the equator, you could pick up the westerlies, and that would take you a lot faster uh, to wherever you're going west. Now, mind you, they, they left in the hurricane season. They were very close to us. It was very, very, uh, uh, they didn't know it, but it was also not the best time to be out there in the middle of the ocean. And when, when he returned, he also knew that if he went above the equator, then those trade winds would carry him east. So his great discovery was that uh, you could go west into this new land, then go east and go back home. So with that, he opened up uh, the, the whole idea of, um, of people following him to the new world, which, you know, as we well know, uh, brought in so many different things. And of course, uh, now, the, they knew about South America, didn't know a whole lot about North America at the time. And Spain and Portugal both made, laid claim to what Columbus had found. And so they wanted a demarcation line somewhere out in the ocean that uh, Spain claimed claim was theirs. And the Portuguese, of course, had a cut in it. And because of the knowledge that, that uh, Christopher Columbus had, he made sure that that line was favorable to the Portuguese. 
And today that line is pretty much the divide between Brazil and South America and the rest of South America. The, the uh, people are supposedly in Brazil uh, speak Portuguese and uh, the people in the rest of South America speak Spanish. But uh, that's because of him, because of the knowledge that he had that, according to the other folks in uh, in uh, the, the old country, they had no idea that there was all this land out there at the time, but that, that was a good move that they made. Now, we have these, um, we have a, a trade uh, pathway going, and uh, it's something now that's known that can be done, uh, established by, uh, by Columbus. And so other uh, neo messianics and conversos found their way into uh, the Caribbean. Uh, part of, of the new world. Now, there was a lot of anger towards the uh, the Spanish at the time for what they had done to the ancestors of these new uh, people that came. Most of the people, by the way, on the original voyage of Columbus were uh, neo-messianics, conversos. And um, when the time came that the Spanish started uh, sending their fleets over and finding all the gold, taking the gold from the Aztecs or whatever, uh, the remnants of the original uh, migrants that come over here as, as, uh, with following Columbus as looking for that safe haven from all the, the religious persecution in Europe, uh, they became uh, pirates, if you will. They would prey on the, the, uh, the Spanish galleons to get the, get the gold back. Basically, it was stolen from them back in Spain. And that remnant, as we know today, they were the pirates of the Caribbean. In fact, if you see the Jolly Roger, which is the uh, you know, skull and crossbones that the pirates' ships famously had, those, uh, that skull and crossbone represented the skull and crossbones of John the Baptist, as we well know, was beheaded because of what he said to, uh, I guess, was Pilate. So you see how this all ties together. You, know, you, you can't talk about liberty in America. You can't talk about the new world, the development uh, of how we are what we are. And, and, you know, incidentally, there was because of this understanding of how you could go back and forth from Europe and America. Then, of course, the slave trade started up. Of course, slavery has been with us from the get-go. If you, the Hebrews were slaves when they sold Joseph into slavery. I mean, it's been all over. Slavery exists today with sex slaves and, and uh, supposed indentured uh, servants, which is a form of slavery. So it's and, and it was just as brutal, uh, you know, even brutal today. If we see the narco uh, traffickers that go on with their slavery of people, uh, slavery has been along around a long time. But once the um, word got out that there was a new place that needed a lot of cheap labor, then the, the tribes in Africa uh, in their warring tribes would capture another tribe and they would sell those uh, their fellow countrymen to the English or, or uh, the Spanish as slave trade. And of all the, the blacks that came out of uh, Africa, the African-Americans uh, were only about one third of uh, all the slaves that came over. Most of them had gone into the Caribbean and into South America, but that's a side note. That's another story that, Important to understand this, you know, the origins of some of this as well. So, okay, so Columbus got this big thing here. He found this great big, great big uh, continent, not expecting it, but you know, this is what he found. And uh, 
following that, there was a trove of people, you know, coming to the new world and you know, establishing their, their colonies or whatever have you. And, and, but it, it's, um, when we take that to the level of, uh, where we are next on our story, the, the Templars, again, Columbus and John Sinclair and, and uh, you know, others, the four nights of the Temple Mount, that thread of, uh, of living, because again, they were, they were um, a monastic, monastic group that had international authority to move and became very wealthy and all. Their uh, ideals carried through the Templars to, to Columbus, led to great explorations, Sinclair, great explorations. But today, they morphed into what we call the Masons. And the Masons are important because a lot of, uh, they were great builders. In fact, the Templars were, um, the mark of the Mason was that they were stone Masons, but they built a lot of temples, or not, I'm sorry, a lot of the churches in Europe that we see today, and they were built many castles. So they were great uh, uh, builders, if you will. Well, the Masons, um, they had a code of sorts, and because they were being persecuted and run down killed, they naturally became very secretive, and that made them very suspicious of, uh, of who they are even today. And, and I will admit I'm a Mason. I'm not real active in it, but I know enough about it, having been inducted into it. But when we look at the, the effect that the Templars are now coming into the Masons, what ha that had on American liberty is that many of our founding fathers were Masons, were Freemasons. And a lot of what they did, uh, what they put together in this country in terms of freedom was the, continuing the heritage of the Templars. And um, one of their great things that they, they did, in addition to you know, believing that, that virtue was important, and uh, virtuous strength, in essence, they they put forth, they postulated the axiom that the state should stay out of the church. The church should not be running the state. So the separation of state from church or church from state was, was a Templar, something that, that we can attribute to the Masons through the Templars because of the horrible experience that the Templars had at the hands of the Inquisitors so many centuries prior to that. So the, um, from all of this, uh, you know, with all that was developing in Europe, you know, we're, we're talking about, we're, we're dealing with the mini ice age, which minimized a lot of the, the travels to the North, North America, but it continued through the South America, that there was a lot of other um, uh, activities that developed in that area. And this is why, you know, Columbus is often thought of as being the discoverer of America, because a lot of it was just so cold that there wasn't much going on in, uh, say, around Nova Scotia or Oak Island. But, you know, as, as we look at the Befall the series, the history of Oak Island, or the, the mystery of Oak Island, I should say, uh, that's uh, being currently filmed as a series on the History Channel. Um, there's a potential for you know, great uh, treasures to be found somewhere in the depths of, of Oak Island. But the references go back to Sinclair, you know, 1362 or whatever have you, somewhere around that time. But the um, following up now, the, um, the idea that we had Masons who were pretty much the people that formed uh, our country and 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 see there's like a like a third of the the signers of the Declaration of Independence formations 
their views, their moral views of the world and how it had been formed through their secret society became expressed in a lot of the words we have in our founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, the, the idea later of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. So we can thank the incorporation of our liberties and freedoms that we enjoy to the strain that goes back to the poor Knights of the Temple Mount in 1118 and how that thread, that desire of freedom, you may have heard me say before, freedom is really, it's a spiritual thing. In fact, there's a scripture that says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. If you listen to the words of our, um, my country tis of thee, and if you ever look at what it means, thee in my country tis of thee is a capital T. My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee, capital T, I sing, land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside let freedom ring. Now, there's a second verse, if I can, see, I can, re if I can remember what I give it to you. Um, my country, God of thee, author of liberty, of thee I sing. Long may my land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God, our King. That's it. It says it all. Look it up. <laughs> it's one of my favorite songs. It really tells a story of where freedom and liberty is a spiritual thing. And it's pretty much tied directly to uh, what we call the Judeo-Christian tradition of America. So you, you can't talk about liberty without understanding or to, to fully understand what liberty means without talking about the religious background and, and the struggles of, of different varied uh, interpretations of what uh, our Judeo-Christian tradition would be. Uh, because if you exclude that, then uh, you, it's just whatever you make it to be. And that, of course, is chaos. And we know that uh, when right becomes wrong, there's chaos. Remember, might becomes right. Uh, we live in, in bondage. This is like Spanish Inquisition, you know, they, Mike was right. They just, everything they said was right. If you didn't go along with it, boy, you know, you paid a price. But when uh, right becomes might, uh, then we're free, such as we have in this country. So uh, unfortunately, today we're into a time of, of chaos when right and wrong are so the divisions are blurred and people are living in chaos. They don't know which way to turn. And our decision to where we're going to be in the future depend on whether we allow might to become right, which is often thought of today with the growth of the, our federal government, or are we going to become uh, get back to right being might with our just laws and uh, liberty and justice for all, if you will. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm glad you're taking the time to listen to me tonight. We'll have some more uh history of, of liberty in america the next time around i apologize for being missing a week we had a very bad storm up here we, i lost power for several days so i certainly couldn't do what i'm doing now but i appreciate you taking the time to learn a little bit about who we are and um, i hope you enjoyed it thank you mm -hmm.